sheet. I didn't have time to do a little intro of what I was going to do today. Um, busy weekend, good weekend, but busy weekend. Um, uh, I've called the six trumpets and a woe um, because that's literally what we're looking at. There are three woes. That's the that's where the woes are a uh, definition, as it were, on what God is going to do on mankind specifically. Uh, and we're going to look at one of the woes. The six trumpets are only going to look at six because, as I said, last week, seven all lines up in how we're looking at this. Uh, so we won't see the seventh of most of these things until the end. But we're going to look at six trumpets. Uh, we learned last week about the concept uh, of the scroll and the six seals. The sealed scroll was introduced in Revelation 5 and the seals were opened one by one uh, up to the sixth seal in Revelation uh, 6. Uh, we were given then a pause with Revelation 7 uh, and then the revealing of the 144,000 and the great multitude out of the great tribulation. And this week we look at Revelation 8 to 9, the six trumpets and the first woe. Um, this week, uh, as we look at this, the trumpets will represent a, a sort of last call, although we might see a, a last call in, in the bowls. It's, uh, it's not absolutely clear sometimes whether there's still grace operating in these times of revelation. Uh, but there's just little hints that there is. There's just little hints, uh, even when God says or when John says in the word, uh, as we read through, he says they still didn't repent, which would suggest there's still time, uh, which, is, which is just fantastic. God's so gracious in doing that. But this is a sort of last call for those to come and repent. The trumpets, they're going to be devastating to the earth, uh, devastating to all the people that live on it. Uh, and we'll still leave enough, though, at this point uh, for mercy uh, that God has provided for people to come to Jesus before the final judgments found in the bowl. So for this week's this week, the trumpets will help us to understand that God shows mercy even right to the end, uh, even in his righteousness to bring this judgment. He still brings grace and mercy, even as he opens up and unleashes the judgments on the earth. Uh, and as we go through this, we may find it hard to see God's mercy as we, we are talking about it now, operating in this time. We may struggle to understand uh, that, great, that uh, mercy is still functioning, as it were, even within these times of the trumpets. Uh, just as we read about, mostly it's all going to talk about one-third of each judgment being unleashed, one-third of each trumpet, as it were. They're going to uh, not wipe out everything, but leave enough. And that's, that's a kind of a, a message of grace and mercy on God's part uh, that we'll see. So it, will, it might well be a bit disconcerting and a bit uncomfortable, um, but it is still the perfect, gracious God holding back full judgment during the trumpets in order to allow more to repent and more to come to Jesus, which is just amazing. Uh, so we're going to look at that. Uh, the verse we, I want to encourage you with, because this is, uh, I know the others have been heavy. This is going to be really heavy and it's going to get heavier. Uh, we're going to have a little break after the trumpets because we go into some other things before we get to the bowls and that kind of lightens the load a little bit. But the trumpets are really intense. Uh, so I want, I want to give you this verse to start with. Uh, it's Joel 2, verse 32. We're referring to Joel 2 in this as well. But it says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will, will be saved from Mount Zion uh, and in Jerusalem. There will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So the, after the one third of all these things, there's still going to be some people left. Even among the survivors, uh, we can take that to show that God will still allow those to come to him uh, and see. So I want you to keep that in your mind as we go through these. 
But for now, God will spare more than he smites, as they say. So uh, we just need to keep looking to grace and mercy as we go through it. Uh, But even so, the reality is that from the very beginning, this was always in his plan to bring about a new earth and a new heaven with perfect peace and justice for all those in Christ Jesus. So let's get on with the first section, 1 to 2, Revelation 8, verse 1 to 2. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. This is just just alone. This is fascinating. Um, half an hour. Get this half an hour in a place that has no time. How does that make sense? There's no time in heaven. There's eternity in heaven. How does how does half an hour make sense when John says half an hour? They all went really silent. What it really is is talking about is, is a sobering moment for all those witnessing the opening of the seventh seal. And you remember last week we saw that God prepared a way to protect those who uh, were his, dressed in white robes. He gave them white robes to protect them. The design of that protection is in itself a sobering moment as well, uh, that what was to come would, would require God to actually protect those who are his. So there's this sort of awestruck silence at the judgments to come. Now that the seals are off and the scroll can be opened. 30 minutes of silence on earth, I think is hard enough. If I stood here for 30 minutes saying nothing, and I told you to say nothing, how awkward would that be? Wow, we struggle, don't we? We struggle, we struggled over the years to even have silence during prayer time. Like people go, someone's got to say something, because this is getting awkward. This is getting really weird. Why don't someone say something? It's okay that we don't say something. It's okay that you just rest. Just, just know that the Holy Spirit is there. But imagine if we were just doing this. I just stood here. I said nothing at all. And we were like, even that is awkward, right? And that's for like five seconds. And that's awkward. 30 minutes of silence, though. Our 30 minutes, however, is bound by time of minutes, hours, days, and weeks. Uh, it goes into a time frame. We have time to judge things. We start our service mostly at 11 o'clock in the morning. We judge things by what we do. We schedule things, meetings, whatever you want to call it. But 30 minutes in heaven is not 30 minutes. Measure 30 minutes in the place of eternity where there's no concept of time. Moreover, heaven is a place of constant praise and worship to God. Remember, the picture of heaven is that there's nonstop praise to God. Now, to have silence, that, that is incredibly strange. No worship, no praise, just silence. For eternity, heaven is praising God, and now for 30 minutes, it will not. Silence for about half an hour is not only a long time. It's, it's more powerful than any awkward silence here on earth or in this universe. Stretch out 30 minutes in eternity, and I think it's longer than 30 minutes. It's a long time. Then he goes on, another angel. He says, Revelation 8, 3 to 6, another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. Uh, The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it 
on the earth, and there came pearls of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. We know a song about that some point uh, that uh, Dan will sort out, I'm sure. Uh, and then verse 6, then the seven, seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. Uh, this other angel, as it says, or another angel, some people think it's Jesus. Uh, some people think it's just another, a different angel. Um, but actually, the term in the original text is, is called another of the same kind. So it's still an angel. Uh, why we need to know it's another angel, but the same, uh, uh, an angel of the same kind as the other angels? That's for God, and that's why he's written it. So I don't know entirely why, but that's why he's done it. But before it all kicks off, uh, God's people pray to God together with the smoke of incense going up before God. Psalm 141 verse 2 says, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. There's quite a few sections in the Bible that talk about incense and, uh, and, and, and fragrance and and then it smells nice. And then even to other people, whether we, out, what we do when we worship God, for some people it will smell fragrant and nice. For others, it will smell like death. Uh, and, and so this is, this is still the same thing. It's all quite sobering uh, as we look through this. Incense is precious, it's pleasant, drifts to heaven, uh, as do our prayers. So here before anything happens at the opening of the seventh seal, the prayers of God's people come before the Lord. Uh, a, a theologian um, preacher probably of, of some time, uh, Clark, his name is, he says this, the angel presents the incense and the prayers ascend with it. The ascending of the incense shows that the prayers and offering were accepted. So God accepted those, those prayers and offering from them. As God's people pray for the resolution of all things, their prayers are touched by fire from the altar in heaven and then thrown back down to earth. But when the seventh seal was finally opened and, and the end did not immediately come, it sets in motion these sets of seven trumpets that would soon sound upon the earth. So what do we do? We look at the first angel. What's the first angel do? Verse 7 of our reading says, The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was held down on the earth. The of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Just before I get into that, I do want to say that I've been saying for a couple of weeks, this stuff hasn't happened yet, and it, has, and it hasn't. But timing from last week has been quite interesting. Uh, I, I saw one article uh, from a well-known celebrity, Joanna Lumley, who said we should start to look at rationing. Uh, and, la and a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how what will happen in the end times is that there will be rationing of food. And then there was these, and then there's, uh, and we need to hold these people in our prayers, a turkey. Uh, where there's a drought, um, and, and that's, that's just affecting whole swathes of people at the moment. Uh, and so when I say that, and then I read these things, I think, how? This doesn't, you know, they're not going to believe me that it's not happening yet because we're starting to see all these things happen. But they're happening, as I said, in isolation. So just, just to be sure, we will know. I need to say that again. We will know when this will happen. But this first angel, just like we saw with the seals, this is a very real event. Literal fire and hail causes the destruction of most of the vegetation. Uh, famine and the lack of oxygen uh, production will also result. So there is, in God's creation, as we see it, it will have a natural knock-on effect. Uh, this, uh, what we see here is these kind of uh, hurling down to earth, the hail and fire. 
It could be talking about volcanic eruptions, could result from an earthquake. Uh, the, the steam and the water thrown into the sky by the eruptions could probably condense into hail and fall to earth along with the fiery lava. Dust and gases could also contaminate uh, falling liquid water so it appears blood red. So there is a, we can see that in, in science, when science is done right, we can actually see that God uses nature as well to bring about judgment. It's not that there's there's all just an imagery. Actually, there's a, there's a much literal, many literal things going on here. But this is the kind of ecological disaster on a wider scale, a bigger scale than what we are even experiencing now. Even as we hear about the world leaders getting together and talking about uh, the, the world and how to save it in, in a sense, how to reduce our emissions, how to bring about uh, reducing pollution. Uh, this is something entirely on a global scale, more so than just affects certain countries and certain areas. Uh, it will be without parallel, nothing we've seen before. Um, the lava storm will create a blazing fire that devastates one third of the Earth's forest. Joel 2 uh, verse 30 says, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the Earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. I've been amazed just by looking back and seeing just how much of the of even the Old Testament is reflected in Revelation, uh, just through the wording. These uh, events that you see in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament that are described in Matthew, just how they're all linked together uh, and show us that this isn't some one person uh, having some sort of trip. Uh, he's actually seeing what God is showing him. It's, these are very real things. This is done on the orders from God. We saw this. We studied this, uh, Exodus 9, verse 24. How and how fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Again, reflections of what God already done. It might be slightly different, but actually we're seeing that God is consistent in how he brings judgment to people. So we recognize it won't be something that we have to try and figure out and decipher it will be very apparent and very obvious. It's the same God in Ezekiel that we see in Revelation. God brings judgment. He isn't passive. He isn't just standing by and watching things happen. This is not nature taking its course. Uh, God may use whatever method he desires to bring judgment, but people on earth will know these events are from God. And do not think them to be natural disasters or just things that just naturally happen. They will be very specific. Uh, we go on verse 8 to the second angel. <coughs> Excuse me. The second angel sounded uh, his trumpet and something like a huge mountain all ablaze turned to blood. It's another verse. Verse 9. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. So there's that sense now of the third happening as, a, as not everything is being uh, judged as it will punishment is not completely covering the earth we're having a third of everything john carefully says that this is maybe not an actual mountain uh, he says the use of like he, he uses like a mountain but it's a blazing mass as large as a mountain uh, maybe the best way to describe it is an asteroid uh, some literal mass of land uh, probably falling into the sea and bringing those disasters so it's helpful to know uh, what how we might experience it because it is devastating it is hugely devastating uh, so we will know for sure the disaster is cataclysmic it's not just slightly affecting the earth this is a cataclysmic event and this 
meteor maybe and then the oceans upheaval and they, they start to rise uh, researchers today say that this sort of phenomenon has happened many times in history sometimes resulting in great ecological upheaval and disaster but here the result is that a third of the living creatures in the sea died a third of the ships were destroyed the blood may be the cause or the effect of the widespread death in the oceans of the world I'm careful not to go into a lot of detail because it's heavy stuff. But we need to get through the message so we can understand why this is really important. The third angel says this. The third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Again, we're looking at probably a meteor strike of some sort, burning like a torch, it says. It does not fall on the sea, but on a third of the earth's rivers, rivers and springs, <clears throat> turning them bitter and poisonous. Uh, and as a result, many people will die. Uh, wormwood, what's that? What's wormwood? It's a bitter substance. Um, it's, 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 it's kind of a, a reflection of bitterness and sadness is why the word's being used. It's, it's trying to describe the bitterness but also the environment it's going to be sadness and 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 to some degree uh, certainly a third uh, of death in each one of the trumpets a third of an ecological system is destroyed in judgment as uh, someone said about this wormwood um which was totally unfounded uh that wormwood was uh, the same as chernobyl that the word meant chernobyl and so what they do in your head is they go was that was that the event? Was that what happened when Chernobyl happened in Russia and the nuclear power station? It's not. It doesn't actually mean that at all. Um, there's actually uh, some researcher found out that he had to go and speak to a botanist about what it meant. And there's two different plants. And actually, it doesn't mean the same plant as the one it should mean. It's actually a different plant altogether. Uh, and, but they had to find the meaning of it. They had to go to a botanist and find all this out. It was, it was quite interesting uh, where people go when they just make statements and say, that means Chernobyl. So that must mean, no, no, no. Let's research. Let's have a look. Let's study the word. We're not in that place. One nuclear power station is not what this is describing. We're looking at a cataclysmic global event. <clears throat> I'm going to have some water here. Okay. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet. And a third of the sun was struck a third of the moon was uh, and a third of the stars so that a third of them turned dark a third of the day was without light and also a third of the night one third of the day and night are plunged into absolute darkness just to be clear it's not like um it's not like a lessening of those things it's not it's not less light or less dark or, or less um moon or less stars uh, it's, it's, it's actually because it's a reduced day and a reduced night. Uh, and so it, that, that's just because what, what people sometimes do is uh, don't take the day bit at the end. And it's very important that you take context with this because actually if you keep saying a third of the sun, a third of the moon, what you think it is is a lessening of the light. Actually, it's a lessening of the entire day. Uh, and so there'll be less day, less night, uh, because even the moon will be less. So there won't be, there'll be complete pitch darkness. Again, we don't see that at the moment. But Matthew 24, verse 29, says immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light 
the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Back to Joel 2 verse 31. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That might even be more related to the bowls to more towards the end. But we're seeing this, this constantly being revealed uh, in scripture before Revelation was written. But we continue verse 13 of our reading, Revelation 8. As I watched and heard an eagle that was flying in midair, call out a loud voice, woe, 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 three woes to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. So the first four trumpets <clears throat> are all about ecological disaster, in effect. They're all about affecting what supplies us with food, water, grow, what grows in the ground, all those types of things. The angels' woes are this sort of very real calling to people of what is about to be unleashed, because what's about to be unleashed is now on people. It's now going to come and affect people themselves even though that the ecological disasters were bad enough now this these judgments are going to be on the people themselves one third of the earth's population will die in the next three trumpets and what we've seen already is god attacking this ordinary means of provision uh, as food and water he attacks all these means of comfort and knowledge such as light and the rhythm of the days he's affecting all that uh, but even though that is bad enough uh, what is to come and the worst of those will affect people and now this eagle or angel uh, so it might also be an angel eagle is closest to angel in in translation uh, so actually it might also be an angel but the eagle cries out it says because the next blast will now affect the population and so it says here the fifth angel sounded the trumpet in in revelation 9 uh, and i saw a star that had fallen from the sky to earth. The star was given, the king in the abyss, smoke rose from it like, uh, sorry, like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. The best way to probably understand this star <clears throat> is that it has been sent by God to open the abyss or one uh, translation puts it as um, bottomless pit. Uh, King James uses bottomless pit, I believe, to describe it, but probably uh, it's the same thing. It's abyss is endless. It's just endless. Um, but what I found really interesting, uh, as different people talk about uh, whether this is an angel, a good angel, a bad angel, uh, whether it's the devil, whether it's whatever, uh, what was really interesting, I didn't find this anywhere. We just, we kind of stumbled across it as we were looking at just some verses this morning. Um, it was in Isaiah, and it's, it's fascinating that you could probably conclude that this might, might well be the devil. One particular thing is that he's fallen, and fallen is a very particular word that we're using here to describe a fallen angel. And so he's described as a star. But let's look at this, Isaiah 14, uh, verses 12 to 15. And this is Isaiah talking about King Babylon, uh, King of Babylon, and he's Although he is talking about him, these words cannot just mean about him because of the wordings that he's using. It means a much more deeper spiritual, quite evil aspect of what is, being, what is happening in the spiritual world. And so he says, how have you fallen from heaven? Morning star, we saw that. Son of the dawn, you have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low uh, the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount 
of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphron. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Bottomless pit abyss. Fascinating. Literally before we came here, I was under the impression that this might well have been an angel, a good angel, but sent to do God's work. But read scripture. The words used are almost exactly the same to describe the devil, to describe he who is going to come uh, to try and rule the earth, as it were. And so what we read is this key is going to be given to this being and that given at a specific time and for a specific purpose that furthers God's plan, this angel serves God's purpose. <clears throat> the abyss is a prison for certain demons. This place is considered the realm of the dead, the same as Hades. Uh, I, I found that there's so many different things that you just suddenly pick up in the Bible and go, wow, that happened there. This is, so this is a Jesus moment. Jesus is talking to a demon-possessed man. <clears throat> in Luke 8, verse 27 to 29, when Jesus steps ashore, uh, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a, in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though the, he was chained and hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains. And he'd been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. Now, verse 31. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Into the abyss. I, I don't know why demons are asking necessarily not to go into the abyss. I can only, I can only come to this conclusion. The abyss is horrible. It's the worst possible place that anyone can ever be. And so when we look at this, and even the demons are saying, I don't want to go there. That should scare us. It should scare people, not into believing in God, but knowing that there is such a place that exists. That's scary that even the demons don't want to go there. Do you know what happened after this? They went into the pigs. Jesus sent them into the pigs. The pigs ran down the hill and drowned in the water. They would rather have drowned in the water as a pig and go back to the abyss. That should tell you that what this abyss is about. It is a horrible, the most horrible place you can ever imagine. It reveals the terrible pit of hell that the abyss is, that even demons don't want to go into it. And this is further shown as what is in the pit is unleashed. Uh, verses 3 to 6 in Revelation 9, and out of the smoke locusts came down to the earth, and were given power like that of scorpions, of the earth they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree but only those people who did not have the seal of god on their foreheads uh, they were not allowed to kill them but only to torture them for five months and the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes during those days people will seek death but will not find it they will long to die but death will elude them 
we uh, look so we see so often these days uh, the talk about death and uh, people, you know, kind of want, wanting death when they're suffering. Um, whatever your politics, whatever you think about that, that's for you, um, uh, and that that's not what we're looking at here. But but there is a sense that at some point, when pain is too much, uh, we would rather choose death. But here, God says to those that are not in Him, He says, "You you won't die." You'll, you'll want it so much, you'll be in so much pain, you won't be able to die. You won't even be able to choose to die. God will allow demonic hordes imprisoned in this place to descend upon the earth like a swarm of destructive locusts. But God, and we need to be clear about this, God is never out of control. Let me tell you this. What we see here in these pictures, in these images is not a God losing control. It's a God unleashing judgment and being in control of that judgment. That, in a strange way, should give us some comfort that God is never out of control even as he unleashes judgment. He firstly restricts the people who are not sealed. He restricts them to, sorry, the people who are not sealed and not saved. Even then, those that the locusts were allowed to attack were only allowed to torture them, not kill them. And that was for five months. And we might find this hard to understand, and what I'm about to say might well be quite confusing, but God in his judgment, particularly here, is being merciful. It is a, a mercy that the world does not understand. Judgment is being passed on the earth so people who do not bow the knee will experience the full pain of these judgments, but God will not allow them to die. So firstly, this is because righteous judgment has to come. It has to happen. But God is also a God of mercy. He doesn't change because judgments happen. He is consistent, ever non-changing God. That even in judgment and pain, their inability to die will also serve a second purpose. To allow them to repent and come to Jesus. That doesn't make sense, does it? When you first think about what he's doing, you won't be able to die. And you will be punished for judge under judgment. But... If you die before you repent, you're not going to come with me. You're not going to heaven. You're going to go to that pit. You're going to go to hell. What a strange way that the world will, will seem is a strange way, but actually is grace and mercy being shown. The actual ability not to die gives them a chance to come to Jesus. Death in itself is not a means to escape eternal death in hell. In many cases, it will be a release for those who desire death over living. But death of our bodies will not release us from what awaits those who die without submitting to Jesus. Death is no better place than life unless that life has come to know the Lord and Saviour found in Jesus Christ. What did, what, what did I say last week about Paul? What did Paul say? That whether he lived or died, it's Christ, right? Let's move on. Verses 7 to 11. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle on their heads. They wore something like crowns of gold and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's uh, hair and their teeth was like lion's teeth they had breastplates like 
breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails. I'm not even following that, am I? I'm so sorry. Uh, like the crowns of gold. Let me, let me do that again. On their heads. I'm not following on this. I'm starting to read on my page. Uh, they wore something like crowns of gold. Their faces resembled human faces. Their hair. I'm getting excited. That's why. Their hair was like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. Uh, verse 10, they had towels with stingers uh, like scorpions and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. We know that already. Uh, they, ha they had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is, Ab is Abaddon and in Greek is Apollyon. That is destroyer. This is really interesting, uh, more so because of what we were studying on Thursday. And the question asked was, is a destroyer the devil? Uh, really good question. Um, is it the same one? I don't know. It's got the same name. Um, does it matter? Probably not. Uh, it's just what God does, right? It's what God is doing. It's what God is doing, passing his judgment, and he is sending, uh, as it were, allowing the destroyer to come now and to do what he has to do to fulfill God's judgment. Strange thing to look at here is that the devil is fulfilling God's judgment, but ultimately will bring about peace on earth and peace in heaven, peace everywhere, no more pain, no more fear. Isn't that amazing that actually the devil doesn't see that he's serving God in the judgment, uh, thinking that he's getting away with it, thinking, ah, oh, I'm on the ruler now. God's like, I, but I know, I, I've done it on purpose so, you know, we can bring about this plan. And the devil, uh, never underestimate him, but God is totally victorious over him. That we can be sure of. Locusts are agents of God's judgment. And we see that in, uh, as we looked at a Bible study, Exodus 10, uh, verses 14 to 15. Uh, they invaded all Egypt, settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. That's true. Not the same locusts, not, not the same ones we're looking at here. However, it's, it's just a model to look at, to see what God is sending and what it means. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail. Interesting. Hail came first in Revelation that we just read. Uh, anything growing in the fields and the fruit and the trees, nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. This is what you did before, what you're used to doing. Don't do that. You're not going to do that. You're going to do something else. Why, why would suddenly God put in something that says, don't, but don't go after the green. Don't go after the land. Don't go after what's growing. Well, we, we see here in Exodus what the literal uh, literal scorpions, as it were, these um, these locusts are meant to, uh, are doing is, is devour everything in the land. Now God says, but don't do that because you're going to serve a particular purpose. So the difference we find here is that, that there's a king over these locusts, and that king is the devil. That's the difference. We don't see that in Exodus. There is no king over them, and there's a quite a specific description of them compared to the locusts in Exodus. All that to say that it, it might well be an indication that these creatures are not literal locusts entirely, although the effect they have is the same in many ways as literal locusts. 
their king is given a name. Abaddon and Apollyon both have the same uh, idea of destruction and torment, as one commentator says. But since this is the king of the locusts, and since he has these names, this is obviously Satan himself, or even potentially another high-ranking leader of demons. Uh, I would probably uh, urge on the side of the, the devil himself. Uh, no one is referred to in, in the, in, as, a, as a king in this way, not the high king, not Jesus, but as in the, the king, the devil is only referred to with a small k king uh, as the king, king of destruction, king of lies. Um, so we would probably look at this as, as being the devil. So then we move on, 12, 13 to 15. Uh, it says this, uh, the first woe is past, two other woes are yet to come, as if that wasn't bad enough. Uh, the, the sixth angel sounded his trumpet, heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Uh, and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. And there we have another third. Still two more woes. But in the, uh, the tabernacle and the temple of Israel, uh, the golden altar was the altar of incense. It's all related, it's all linked together, which was this representation of the prayers of God's people. The four horns of the golden altar stood at each corner of the altar and atoning blood was applied to the horns. From these horns, John heard this voice and it said, release the four angels. Now these can be, in my personal opinion, some people don't think it's true, others do. Uh, these can only be the four angels that we read about in Revelation 7, uh, verse 1, which says, after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. And that was just before the opening of the seventh seal. And God said, hold on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save them. Now, this isn't complicated. I don't know why people don't really accept it, to be honest. There's four angels holding back the power of God, holding back what God's about to unleash. And he says, well, I've opened the seal and I've given protection to my people. And now this is it. This is the angels, the same angels in my view, coming to now unleash this uh, judgment on uh, the people. A demonic locust described earlier in the chapter were restricted to tormenting mankind, but now these four angels have the authority to kill on a huge, massive scale. These angels have a specific mission and purpose and are only activated by God in his timing and in his plan. They execute God's will as he commands. It mentions the Euphrates. It was a, a landmark of ancient Babylon, referring back to Isaiah. You see how it's all linked together? It's amazing, isn't it? It all links together. We're talking about Babylon as well. It was the frontier of Israel's land as promised, fully promised by God. It's associated, and this is no coincidence, it's associated with the first sin, the first murder, the first organized revolt against God, the first war confederation, and the first dictatorship, all in Genesis. It's no coincidence that it, it comes back to this sin, brokenness of human beings goes on to say, 
16 to 19, the number of the mounted troops were twice, 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their uh, mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. Uh, the power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict injury. I'm going to come on to that. It suggests an army that's impossible to count and is greater than anything mankind has ever seen. A human army this size has never been seen. Uh, during the Second World War, there was the total size of all the armies was 70 million. In, in China in 1965, it claimed to have an army and militia of 200 million, but was unfounded. But even if such an army was assembled and marched towards the West, it's, it's probably hard to see such an army killing a billion or more people. I think today we're looking at two billion uh, of, of a third. So actually, uh, it's very difficult to understand that a human army would be able to achieve the same thing. Again, we're looking at a very specific army. It's described in weird and grotesque, grotesque terms. It's a powerful picture of horror, destruction, demonic association. Without looking at any commentaries, uh, and Dawn, you're excluded from this, um, how, what's the answer to this maths question? Anyone know? Yes, look at that, that was quick. 200 million, 200 million strong army of the devil. But here it is, and let me, let me just show that, it is 200 million. Uh, it's not really the number we need to be focused on. This is not an ordinary army. It's a demonic army. It's an army that is worse than any human being can ever imagine possibly any human being could ever carry out and it's hell-bent on destruction even with all this in view six trumpets of disaster and death what does mankind respond with even faced with this evil grotesque army what do people do 20 and 21 the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands they did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. Mankind showed no repentance despite the presence of some pretty awful, overwhelming signs of God's judgment. It said man continued will continue rather with his idol worship in a business as usual kind of way they continued in their worship of demons whether that worship is intentional or not they never bowed the knee to jesus and isn't it amazing to see how quickly things return to what is thought to be normal after some calamity such as an earthquake we today are quick can be quick to forget god's lessons even the lessons that come in judgment. Many countries, our own across the world, have and continue to experience horrific acts of war, terrorism and murder. 
But what happens after these events? Uh, David Pawson did comment on this, and he mentioned 9-11. And I, th I think, um, as far as my memory serves, uh, it, it was a kind of, people shook it off. People said, you know, they got used to it. And whether that's God's judgment on what happened, I'm not, you know, that's for God to decide whether that was his or, or not. It's, it's not for us to be concerned with, in my view. But how quick did we forget, not just that, but of many things, that we keep repeating the same things over and over again? Why do we keep repeating those mistakes? Because sometimes they're not mistakes. They're intentional sin playing out because we're thrashing against God. We don't want to bow down to him. We have a time of shock, a time of re-evaluation. But how long does that last before we get back to whatever normal is? <clears throat> Worse still, how often do we keep falling back into this same trap for wanting whatever you call it, the good old days? Even as we look at this a coronavirus and the amount of articles I've seen. This is tiny, uh, by the way, in comparison uh, to what we're looking at. Uh, but I get very frustrated with newspaper articles that tell me that I'm a layabout because I don't want to go back to the office and I just want to uh, work from home because I can. I can still work from home. I can still achieve what I need to achieve from home. Many people can't and that they need to go into the office and that's perfectly fine. That's not in dispute here. But isn't it weird how we just want to get back? Let's just get back to normal. But we need to know that there are vested interests in these things, uh, that people have vested interests into why newspaper articles are published why certain news items come on the news who is the source of research and who's paid for it and there's a whole load of stuff in the kind of underbelly going on here that we just need to be aware of just do a bit of research is all i'm asking uh, don't become a conspiracy theorist i'm not promoting that at all but just research what you read just check what you read but that that's nothing in comparison to what we're seeing here by the way this is a cataclysmic event. This is going to be more than any event in our lifetimes now and before us. Even in the midst of this harrowing account, we find that God is still giving mercy so that people be inclined to take it. Uh, the revelation that people did not repent is the very sign that God allowed people to repent. Does that make sense? The fact that John wrote it down says that God allowed repentance. Otherwise, this is not even written. This doesn't need to be included. Because if repentance is not allowed or there's no way to repent, John doesn't need to say it and Jesus doesn't need to tell us. The, the very fact it's mentioned is mercy and grace on God's part to even say you can still repent. God would never torment people like this and say you didn't repent. And then when they repent, go, no, no, sorry. That's it. There is still room, even in these times, for repentance. So let me tell you, just as we draw this to a close, thank you for being patient, church. Let me tell you that verse 20 and 21, especially, should give us a heavy heart for those who refuse to repent and turn to the Lord. For Christians, it should be a sobering reminder to seek the counsel of God every day. It doesn't give us the license to be pious or to lord it over people that don't believe. But more so before this time comes to make sure that people know that there is only one way out of this finale. Out of this ending, there is only one way. 
That is to call on the name of the Lord and so be saved. But even when we're talking to people and these things come up, we have to ask the question, we have to state this clearly. Why wait until the end? Why wait until the earth is almost destroyed? When the offer of a new life is available today, to be lived today and is free today, that should break your heart. That people don't have to wait until the end times. Right now, in this second, people can come to God and say, I repent, I believe in Jesus, he saved me from hell. No need to wait. Anyone watching this, let me encourage you, come to Jesus today. Your life will be changed, I guarantee it. Let's pray together. Uh, let me let me say this uh, last verse, because we always end this last verse. I want to keep giving you this last one as a reminder. For though we live in the world, we do not wage wars. The world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish, demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We're not fighting the same war as the world is fighting. We're fighting for eternity, right? We want people to come into eternity with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter to make them feel happy today or whatever you want to do. The important thing is that they change their life and come to Jesus. That is where it needs to be. Let's pray and then let's worship together before we close our service.